Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. And I'm really excited to have Peter Lee on the show today. So Peter is the Corporate Vice President uh, of AI and Research at Microsoft Corporation. Anyway, he's doing some profound things at Microsoft. He's done some profound things, but I'm not going to steal his thunder. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, Anthony. It's uh, uh, great to be here. So thanks for having me. Thank you for peeling off time to do this. I really appreciate it. I can only imagine how busy your schedule is, but uh, it's great to ground and really understand, you know, who, who's the person that, 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 uh, what, what, what did Peter go through in his <laughs> life to, to lead him to who he is today? So Peter, I'd love to hear about your origin story and what led you to become the person you are today. Uh, sure. I, um, uh, you know, when I reflect on it, it's uh, it's been a little bit of a journey for sure. Um, I'm a computer scientist by training. Started off in uh, kind of theoretical computer science and was a professor uh, at Carnegie Mellon University. I was there for 24 years, mm. and um, uh, at the end of my time there was the head of the computer science department, which was a great, a great gig. And then um, after the 2008 election. Uh, like a lot of other people, I got shanghai to go to D.C. and serve. Um, and so I went to DARPA um, mm. and um, with my good friend, uh, Regina Dugan, who has appointed the new director of DARPA. And so we were on the mission to restore DARPA uh, to its former glory. Um, so the previous administration, for noble reasons, had uh, redirected DARPA to focus on the global war on terror you know, mm. uh, right after 9-11. And so uh, there was time for a reset. I learned a lot uh, at DARPA in two years and ran into a new set of people, including Craig Mundy, uh, who was the CTO of Microsoft at the time. And uh, so Craig and Rick Rashid and a few others uh, slowly ground me down over a period of a couple of years and convinced me to give up my professorship and come to Microsoft uh, to work at Microsoft Research. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, at Microsoft Research, I was injecting a lot of what I had learned at DARPA uh, into Microsoft Research. Um, Microsoft Research is an amazing place. And then when Satya Nadella became our CEO, uh, he sort of doubled down on a lot of the ideas about bringing research into new lines of business and products. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I've been working on. Um, for maybe five years ago, he threw us into the deep end of the pool and asked us to think hard about healthcare and life sciences and what, mm. what the future uh, is bringing. And um, that's slowly just consumed everything that, that we think about here. And, um, and that's, that's brought us to where we are today. I love it. I love it, Peter. And uh, so fascinating background and, you know, glad to see where you're at today and, and where you, where you've been. Um, and when it comes to AI, when it comes to research and how it integrates with uh, well-being and health on a personal basis, you know, what has you most fascinated about health today and how those two worlds of AI and health uh, can and should, you know, work together? So just kind of curious on how you think of uh, the presence. Yeah, well, you know, the thing that is amazing is how digital health has become. Mm -hmm. And we're just sort of generating gigantic amounts of data. And I think people fail to appreciate how fast that has happened. Mm -hmm. You know, really, um, I think 15 years ago, less than 20% of health records were in digital form. And mm -hmm. most people who are old enough can remember 
you know, the storerooms of Manila file folders of uh, health records. And and then uh, after the 2008 crash, you know, as part of the uh, Recovery Act, you know, there were there there was further acceleration uh, to incentivize digitization of health records. I think today we're some, at something like 98.5% of health records in the U.S. are digital. Mm. And in that time also, everything else has gone digital around healthcare. Um, uh, the data that medical devices uh, produce, um, everything's become networked and connected. Um, uh, we, you, know, you were mentioning social determinants of health. You know, that has become also another source of digital data, uh, medical imaging, everything, genomics. And so we're sitting today on this gigantic sort of tidal wave of digital health data, and yet we're in this sort of frustrating, everyone's frustrated uh, because it all seems so inaccessible and you know, tied up in silos and regulations and so on. So figuring that out, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think is the kind of task for the next, you know, if the past 10 years was about going digital, mm-hmm. I think the next 10 years is about making all that digital stuff useful uh, for better health. I love it. I love it. And just for our listeners out there, we have a wide spectrum of listeners. Um, You know, when it comes to AI, how would you define AI to like a middle schooler uh, versus like someone that's been in it for a while? So obviously, you know, we're out here, you know, kind of Northwest, I'm in Silicon Valley, there's AI gets tossed around a lot as a hype cycle term. And, you know, a lot of early stage companies that say they have AI really don't have technically AI. But you know, what's uh, how would you describe AI? How do you how do you know it's AI when you see it? What what its be, what's its behavior and characteristics? Uh, and, I, and I have a follow up question to that on how it could apply, how it can and should apply to healthcare. So, uh, gosh, you should ask a harder question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, like uh, I guess if I were to talk to a middle schooler, um, you can ask, you know, uh, can we? Uh, make a machine that thinks, and mm-hmm. what does that mean? And one way to uh, think about that is today we normally have to write a really precise computer program, like mm-hmm. an exact recipe, to tell a computer exactly uh, what to do. Um, but would it be possible to have a computer where you didn't have to program it, right? Where you could just ask it to think through the problem and solve it on its own? Um, today, a lot of the excitement around AI is that. A really narrow slice of that idea is um, in the area of learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more and more possible to just teach a machine uh, some task through examples and you know have it say watch a lot of people playing chess. And the computer today, through a process called machine learning, mm-hmm. is able to learn how to play chess. On its own, so we didn't have to write a chess program. Uh, we we could just have it learn how to do mm-hmm. that on its own. So in the medical field, um, this is generating a ton of excitement. Mm-hmm. For example, we can just have a computer essentially watch what radiologists do when they're trying to identify tumors in a medical image. And if you have a computer uh, that has uh, machine learning capabilities, uh, if it watches that enough times, it gets to be as good or even better mm-hmm. uh, than than a human radiologist. And so that's like incredibly exciting. And so people are now trying to understand, well, how can we really make use of that uh, in the real world of medicine? 
I love it. I love it. No, thank you for that so much. And, and, uh, you know, and a follow up to that, you know, it serves as a, what you're working on, what you're focused on serves for an interesting, you know, future. Tell me a little bit about the way you see healthcare shaping up, you know, in the future, how AI is going to play a role in that. I just love to hear about the future of health, according to Peter. Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, if you're looking, you know, some of this depends on how far out you're looking. You mm -hmm. know, it's the year 2020, so um, let's first think about what life might be like in the year 2030. Right. Uh, and the real dream there is with advances in AI and advances in our understanding of human biology, mm -hmm. um, uh, how the brain works, uh, the impact of the human genome, um, and our ability to analyze it, in 2030, there's a dream of something called precision medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, you know, being able to precisely look at what's going on in your body right this very moment um, and do precise and early diagnosis of your health uh, and really, really precisely target the therapies in case you're sick. Mm. And, and that idea of kind of precision diagnostics and precision therapeutics is all under this broad rubric of precision medicine. And day by day, that's becoming more and more real. You know, so today, for example, in cancer treatment, we're able today to do a genetic analysis of your tumor and how it's evolving, uh, and of course, of your own genetics. Um, and now, with all the cancer research going on, there are, believe it or not, over 2,000 new research papers being published every single day mm. around the world on new discoveries about precise therapies for the precise genetic makeup of a specific cancer. And so that sort of knowledge is, is building up to the point where, you know, in the year 2030, we'll, uh, I think, have amazing capabilities. Uh, we have a project at Microsoft with our partners at Adaptive Biotechnologies uh, that from a single a sample of blood are looking at the genetics of your immune system mm -hmm. to understand what is your immune system coping with right this mm. very moment. Wow. Do you have Lyme disease? Uh, do you have pancreatic cancer? Uh, are you susceptible to uh, type 1 diabetes? And so those sorts of precision diagnostics is sort of the 10-year vision. Um, Closer in, one of the things that really gets me excited is uh, AI that just helps doctors and nurses have more effectiveness and better day-to-day -day working lives. Um, I really love my doctor, and I'm, you know, I, I go to her every year to get my annual checkup. Um, I'm at that age <laughs> where it's important. Mm -hmm. uh, and even though I really trust her and like her, when I'm in the exam room with her, she's not looking at me. She's sitting at a little desk in front of a laptop asking me questions and typing. And, um, you know, it annoys me a little bit, but I know she's a good job and she's pulled me through some health issues in the past, so I trust her. Um, but, you know, we're now on the verge of having technologies that just listen and observe a doctor-patient conversation mm -hmm. uh, and set up all of the clinical documentation uh, that's required. Uh, both for the doctor to be able to bill appropriately, mm -hmm. uh, but also just to track over time uh, the relationship and how the health is progressing. And that sort of ambient intelligence is another thing that we've been working on, but a lot of other 
organizations mm-hmm. around the world and researchers have, have also been working on. And, um, you know, those sorts of aids, I think, are so important because today, um, amongst uh, white collar professions in the US, uh, doctors have the highest suicide rate today. And wow. burnout is really an epidemic mm-hmm. uh, proportions. Um, you know, uh, we've heard a lot of doctors talk about something called pajama time, uh, uh, which is, you know, they work all day on their medical rounds. And then at night, uh, they spend two, three, four hours entering clinical documentation. Wow. And the burnout, you know, and the burden there is just um, pretty awful. And so AI technologies can really help relieve that burden. And yeah. that, you know, it's it's not a problem that people talk about too much, but it, you know, it, it, it is really something that strikes at the core of, of the motives behind people who are in the front mm-hmm. lines of healthcare delivery. Um, and then in the here and now, this is sort of the least sexy topic, but it has profound implications. There are huge pushes by several governments, including the U.S. government, to put control over health data uh, mm. back in the hands of people, consumers, mm. uh, put power back to the people. Um, and this is something called health data inter- interoperability. Um, and so to always make it easy and cheap and free for consumers to have access to their own health data, uh, to be able to uh, send it uh, to where they, to who they want, when they want, um, and to have it all in one place in a usable form, mm. uh, so that um, you know that people can deliver better care. And um, and that that idea, I think, is you know is sort of in the technical weeds, but mm-hmm. you know I think is going to be really important. Uh, yeah. Forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, Peter. I just think about, you know, even just through my life, you know, all the different pieces of diagnosis and data that you have like sparse around and you just don't feel like you're in control of it. You know, and obviously a lot of people move around more frequently now and uh, there's not really like a place to have that story. Right. And the story should be personalized and internal. Um, And then, um, well, I mean, well put with the the burnout, you know, if you can just record a doctor's conversations and reduce that documentation, even by 30 to 70 percent to their what they're used to is just going to be light years beyond. And it'll probably be more precise, more structured, more consistent. And it's all connected together. Right. You know, it's kind of like uh, right now you you need a circle around the whole thing. Right now, there's kind of like, you know, little band-aids bridge bridging the data all across. (laughs) Um, So it's a very fascinating time. It's really exciting to see, you know, your work and what you're doing and how you're playing a major role. Um, you know, in the, in the health of, uh, of the world, no pressure, right, Peter, but, (laughs) but, um, one element we didn't talk about too much is, is the research element of what you're doing, AI and research, right? Yes. Um, what's, um, I, I love mental models. What, what's, what's your mental model? If you're going to speak with some middle schoolers about research and a good framework for thinking about great research, how to do research, how would you talk to that, you know, group of fourth graders about research? The fundamentals of research yeah you know there the thing that you're trying to do about research is to uh, understand the unknown mm-hmm. um, and also try to understand uh, what it is that you don't know you don't know mm. um, and um, so um, with children sometimes I talk about um, you know, what can we do to try to look beyond the headlights if you're driving in a car at night you know, the headlights sort of shine 
a part of the road in front of you and that's sort of the, the kind of uh, all of the knowledge that you have you can think of it that way but what's beyond those headlights uh, you know what's beyond in in that darkness and so what you do when you're trying to do research is to find ways to investigate and discover uh, mm. what might be out there mm. and and so there are uh, th several different ways to think about that uh, one idea is something called blue sky research uh, and blue sky research is that you're really just trying to uh, think about some of the fundamental questions in life you know how did life start you know how you know how does the human genome work and you know how does it make you who you are um, there's uh, sometimes blue sky research doesn't feel very practical or useful um, but it oftentimes leads to just you know crazy outcomes you know some of the early thinking and research that albert einstein did uh you know really provided the foundation for nuclear power for example today and these are just amazing kinds of connections mm -hmm. uh, there's a great book that was written by a scientist called flexner uh, called the usefulness of useless knowledge um, and uh, that's sort of the definition of blue sky research uh, but then there's another mode of research called um, disruptive research. And so what can we do that would really you know, change the world mm -hmm. today? You know, that would kind of violate assumptions that people have about things. And, you know, those ideas are really all around invention. Can we invent a new thing that, you know, that would just really just change life in some fundamental surprising way. And the classic example of this is Thomas Edison, you know, inventing the light bulb. Right. And, you know, it just was a totally out of the box idea. Um, you know, people were complacent and pro probably happy just having candles and gas lamps. Um, uh, but to understand the implications of, of how different the world could be uh, with electric light, you know, is an example of disruptive research. Uh, and there's always invention around mm -hmm. that. And then the last one is what I call mission focused. Mm. So um, we have horrible diseases like cancer or HIV, malaria. Um, let's work on understanding those diseases in detail so that we can diagnose and treat them and cure them better. Mm. And that's an example of mission focused research where there's some big societal problem, mm -hmm. um, something affecting you know, life. Uh, for human beings and for societies and for individuals um, and let's direct our mental energies uh, to solving them and um, and so those three kind of ideas of research are um, you know they're all sort of wonderful and equally important things and um, if you're ever lucky enough to uh, get involved in doing research for a living i think it you're you're very very lucky I love it. I love it. Peter, no, thank you so much for that framework. Uh, it really helps out a ton, I think, for our listeners always. Helps out for me. I think I'm going to try and approach my next uh, black box uh, <laughs> uh, topic in that framework. Well, you um, know, you've been involved in some uh, research that is, I would put in the mission focused category because you know, when we think about social determinants right. uh, of health, you know, typically the world has always thought about healthcare in terms of, you know, what are the how's your blood and you know what do your x-rays look like and 
uh, and your heart rate and blood pressure and so on. Um, but increasingly, we know that if you're socially isolated or if you don't have access to a transportation, cheap transportation, um, or you know, if you're having to juggle your paycheck because you don't have quite enough money to buy enough food or good food, these things really matter to health. Right. And there's more and more research that's being directed to just understanding that. And that's having a big impact on medicine today. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's it. You can tell that's uh, that's our obsession. That's kind of our calling. You know, my, my calling, I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm destined to, to try and, you know, help solve that or play a major role in that that problem. And that's been put upon my heart uh, to do that. Um, Peter, this is great. My, what I love to do is always end off, uh, an episode or interview with a personal touch. And you had mentioned that sometimes you've gone to the hospital and, or the doctor and your doctor has helped you. But these days to, to do your role, to stay resilient and optimal, you probably have some interesting daily or weekly rituals or habits. Um, um, what do you do to keep the engine running? Um, just kind of curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think in anything, uh, big and ambitious that, that you want to do, um, it's, there are always ups and downs. And especially when you're doing research, um, there are so many days where you just feel stupid. <laughs> you know, because sometimes you can work for weeks on some idea and then finally realize it's just not a good idea. Uh, mm -hmm. It just happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, finding ways to maintain positivity and, you know, and staying grounded and in the bigger picture is really important. And a couple of things that I've found for me just crucial in that. Um, one is uh, try to uh, surround yourself and get involved with people who are smarter than you. Mm -hmm. So there's an old saying, you know, if you have to go to a meeting, try to be, uh, try not to be the smartest person in the room. Um, and, you know, that can really sustain you because you're, mm -hmm. you're always, Kind of learning uh, from other people and learning is having a chance to learn all the time you know it's just a really fulfilling thing um and then um the second is always assume good intentions mm. of the people around you um because when you're really knocking your head against something and maybe something you're working on isn't isn't panning out it's oftentimes easy to get suspicious of people's motives mm -hmm. um, but it's very important to stay positive about that and then you know i guess if we're talking to the fourth graders that you uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get enough sleep every day <laughs> i love it and uh you know i think just you know taking care of yourself and realizing that as long as you're working hard you know yeah. you can have time for yourself i think all, all those are are super important i love it peter thank you so much yeah no those are definitely these are um these are these are great uh you know pieces of advice for everyone and you know definitely you're inspiring me i promise to get some good sleep tonight <laughs> and uh i promise to you know next time i'm walking down the hall to not assume that the person also is uh you know has a bad intention but right. <laughs> uh but uh, no but I'll, I'll, all kidding aside um yeah i'll try and cancel the meetings today that i that that uh that where i'm also not this smart, you know <laughs> where I have more smarts, so not the smarts words, but, uh, or an inverse, but, uh, Peter, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you or say hi through social media or directly, if you'd like any of that to happen, what would be a good way to do so? Yeah. So my Twitter handle is, uh, Peter at MSR, Peter AT MSR. Uh, and I'm also on, on LinkedIn and, um, and those are my two main channels and, you know, always uh, love hearing from people. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you so much for peeling off time to do this with me. I know how busy you are, or I can only imagine how busy you are. Uh, I'm sure we'll, you know, connect at Hims maybe in a, in a few weeks if you're there and yep. I'm sure you'll be there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, thanks for doing this. This was great. And to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a super strong passion for making people healthier in the world. Peter, thanks again. This was great. Thanks, uh, Anthony. It was really a lot of fun to chat with you. Thank you so much.